mercy. Who are we? We are God's chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. We are those who have both received God's mercy and who are to tell of his mighty acts. We are those who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then in Matthew chapter 16, Peter says to Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son, the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Who are we? We are an unstoppable force being built by Jesus that not even the gates of hell can overcome. We are unstoppable force built by Jesus that even the gates of hell cannot overcome. Amen? Amen. We're the church. And here's a quote about the church I love. And in his book, Courageous Leadership, Bo Hybels talks about a time when he was in a San Juan airport and while waiting for his plane, he saw a 10-year-old boy grab a smaller boy and literally start pounding his head on the concrete of the airport. And no one was breaking up this scene, and so he went over and got the two boys separated. But then he had to board his plane, and as he got on the plane, he kind of just wanted to forget about it, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. And the Holy Spirit wanted him to wrestle with, hey, what is there that could change the direction of that young boy's life? He thought about the government, but decided it couldn't do it. You see, the government can't change a human heart. It can't turn hatred into love. It can't bring about repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. And then he writes this. I scrolled through every other option I could think of, considering what they had to offer. Business can provide sorely needed jobs. Wise educators can teach useful knowledge of the world. Self-help programs can offer effective methods of behavior modification. Advanced psychological techniques can aid self-misunderstanding, self-understanding. And all this is good, but can any of it transform the human heart? He goes on, I believe that only one power exists on this sorry planet that can do that. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ. The love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. He goes on, what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that this radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church. That means, in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like yours and mine. It's a church or it's lights out. Without churches so filled with the power of God that they can't help but spill goodness and peace and love and joy into the world, depravity will win the day. Evil will flood the world, but it doesn't have to be that way. Strong growing churches of faith can turn the tide of history. They can. Don't bother looking elsewhere. The church is it. Then he goes on. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. It comforts the grieving and heals the brokenhearted in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. 
Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. He concludes, still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. Amen? Heavenly Father, as we talk about your church today, help us to see, help us to understand just who we are and what we can do in you and through you. I I pray that because of our conversation this morning, that lives will be changed and our world will be a little bit better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to week 13. Never, had no idea it'd be 13, right? Of the series this is. And in this series, it's about hitting reset in regards to who we are called to be and what we're called to do as those who are following Jesus Christ. First thing I did is I hit, you know, I hit reset. <laughs> reset. This is me, right? I'm to preach Christ. I have to depend on Christ. And my goal is to take you to Christ. And then I had reset, this is you. Hey, you're missed. And just like the sand or salt is falling in this hourglass, you, you have a short time to live. Your time on this planet is short. And if you're going to do what God wants you to do, if you're going to accomplish all that God wants you to accomplish, you best get busy, right? right? You can't control when you're born, you can't control when you die, but you can't control the dash in the middle. And then we've been talking about This Is Us, where we've been looking at these statements on these banners. They've been up there for like seven years. And we need to hit reset. Reset on our vision about connecting people to a life change and relationship to Jesus Christ. Reset on our mission, right? Like Jesus, we seek the lost because they're lost. Because they still stand under God's wrath. Like Jesus, we, we make disciples, people who look like Jesus and help other people look like Jesus. Like Jesus, we, we show compassion. And then we talked about our core values. We honor biblical authority. We depend on God and we do life together. This morning we're unpacking our fourth core value is, you know, we engage our culture in relevant ways. And, and the way I, I want to uh, attack this that this conversation is by answering four questions. Does God want us to engage culture? Did the early church engage culture? How do we engage culture? And will we engage culture? Before we go there, I have a a brief commercial break, all right? Um, Next Sunday night, between 4.30 and 5.30, we're going to meet in this room, and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray about prayer, (laughs) Uh, We're going to pray about our number two core value about depending on God. Because too many times we depend on ourselves, right? Like if everything in your life can be explained by you, and if everything done in the church can be explained by us and our ability, then something's missing, right? Because God wants to move in our lives. So you're invited to come to that, and we're going to just pray. How can we really become a praying church? How can we take that off of, it looks good on the banner, but how do we live it out? All right? And, and then next, coming up on um, June the 27th, um, that may change to the 26th because I change everything. I never know what I'm doing, right? But the bottom line is coming very, very soon, 
to a church near you is our Belong class. And if you've been hanging out here for a while through all this COVID stuff, we haven't had a membership class in a long time. This is a perfect time to take it because we've been talking about what we are as a church for weeks. But uh, this is a two-hour get-together, lunch provided, childcare provided, to talk about the church to see if, hey, you know what? I- I'm ready to say that for this season, I'm in Maple Grove to help hit her achieve God's purposes. And then the final announcement, not really announcement, but you know, this is Memorial Day weekend and, and and, and though we like to go camping and go to the beach and grill and cook out, not a thing wrong with that. You know, this is about remembering, right, those who have lost their lives so you and I can have freedom. You know, and, and, and I'm going to read this. I found this. I just Googled images. I do that a lot. And I found this really awesome prayer that I want to pray. Uh, but if, if you know anyone that has given their life so that we could have freedom. Would you stand? Okay. Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day, we pray for those who courageously laid down their lives for the cause of freedom. May the example of their sacrifice inspire us in the selfless love of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the families of our fallen troops and fill their homes and their lives with your strength and peace. Embolden us to answer the call to work for peace and justice and thus seek to end violence and conflict around the globe. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please remember the fallen and their families this weekend as you celebrate. Okay, let's do this core value number four. Does God want us to engage our cultures is the first question. Answer, yeah, he does. <laughs> and, and in fact, he, he made that clear from the very beginning when he called this 75-year-old guy named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We read this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He says, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family. That's a sermon there, but not today. And go to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. You see, from the very beginning, God wanted the lives of his followers to impact the culture around them. In a positive and God-honoring way. And he wants the same thing today. In other words, he... He wants where we work, where we go to school, where we live, where we shop, our community. He wants it to be a better place because we, his people, are in it. Amen? And when Jesus wore flesh and he walked this planet, did did he engage the culture? All the time. In the city and in the countryside. At the temple and in homes. In the marketplace and around dinner tables on the mountainside and on dusty streets. And Jesus made it clear that we as followers are to do the exact same thing. He said on the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us who we are. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And salt back then was used to preserve, right? Not to season our french fries, right? It was used to preserve because they didn't have refrigeration. You are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And said they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And after his resurrection, Jesus meets his guys in Galilee, and he spoke these words, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus, in this, in this great commission, he talks about two uh, vital or essential steps in becoming a disciple and being baptized in the name of Jesus and being taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. And you know, when Peter and his gang hit the streets with the gospel, that's exactly what we see them doing. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching the gospel for the very first time and he's concluding his sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In other words, you killed God's Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message meant some didn't, but those who accepted it were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. As we follow along in Acts, we see such things as this. In Acts chapter 8, Philip's preaching to the Ethiopian He's preaching in Samaria, rather. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. He began with the Isaiah 55, 53. The Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And then we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul, he's preaching, believed and were baptized. And then we read, Ananias talking to Paul three days after his running into Jesus on the road to Damascus. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. And with that in mind, I, I want to let you know that June 27th, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. If you've not yet been baptized, immersed in the name of, of Jesus, I want to encourage you to think about making that decision on that day, or better yet, today. <laughs> today is the day of salvation. You know, I'm not into waiting. That's why I, sometimes I like to do a baptism Sunday, because, oh, just wait. No, if, if, if you need to make this decision, you don't wait. It's ready to go. 
back, you know, it's been hot and cold. Who knows what it is today, but there's water back there. All right. That's all I know. Right. Could be, that's all I know. There's water back there. Right. Uh, if you have questions about baptism, just let me know. You know, um, I'll do a class. I'll come to your house to talk to you about it. Uh, but what a great way to honor biblical authority by doing what Jesus told you to do, right? Uh, baptism is not an issue to debate. It's a promise to claim. Amen? Amen. Again, God has always wanted his people to engage the culture around them. Uh, Paul said it this way. And Philippians, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Wow, ain't that the truth? <laughs> as you hold out the word of life. I like how the message paraphrase words it. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in the squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the life-giving message into the night. Amen? Next question. Did the early church engage the culture? Yeah. All through the book of Acts, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, in Asia, and in Athens, and in in Europe. We see them healing the sick. We see them feeding widows. We see them helping the poor. We see them sharing the gospel, the Jews and Gentiles, and Romans, and young, and old, and slave, and free, unschooled, or intellectuals and philosophers at Mars Hill or the marketplace in Athens. They totally engaged their culture around them. The church did. And we're going to take a brief break right here because we're going to do something we did last week and it was so much fun. We're going to take about a minute or two to say yo to the folks around you, right? We got name tags on, right? You know, I put mine on my leg and I got to think, you know, that's a bad place because if someone wants to know my name, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> oh, that's who you are. Okay, so, so maybe I should move it up here, right? All right. We don't want to creep anybody out this morning. Like, no, day. okay, I always wore the leg because I don't know if I thought that was cool or not, but that's, I thought about, yeah, you, I need not say no more. All right. Hey, say hi to some people. See where they're from. Get up. Talk. Have some fun. Awesome. Awesome. You know, it, I, I, I want you to know that uh, class, class, remember, shut up. Remember that? Remember that? Teaching Chong? Hey, uh, and, and I, I, I want you to know that, that I will not take it personally that you all look so much more alive during that two minutes, then the entire time I've been staring at your faces this morning. No, just kidding. It's good. It's good to see everybody. It's good just to hear the sound of people greeting one another. Um, but the early church definitely engaged their culture, and, and we see it in the book of Acts. We see it in church history. A guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Early Christianity. And, and, and when he wrote it, you know, he, he, he wasn't a Christian. He was a professor of comparative religion and philosophy at the University of Washington. And, and he traced the history of the church for 300 years, and he was trying to figure out how they did it, how this small, obscure Jesus, Jesus movement changed the world, how it eventually 
the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. Because he couldn't figure it out because they, they didn't, they had no political power or position. They couldn't hold office. They couldn't vote. They had no Bill of Rights. In fact, they had people like Nero that would set them on fire and use them as streetlights in the evening. But yet the church exploded. So he goes, hey, how did that happen? Like, how did they change the world? He traces it out. And he says that abortion and infanticide were common in the Roman world. It was an accepted practice. It was most often exercised when the child was a female or was, had disabilities. Like it was perfectly common. It was condoned by people like Plato and Aristotle to just take a baby and abandon that baby out in the woods. Just leave them there. And virtually all disabled or deformed babies were just simply abandoned. And if you were a girl, your chances of survival and a good life were minimal. But the early church did not allow infanticide or abortion. Now look, they couldn't control what happened outside their community, and, and they were not a, in a political position to force that upon other people, but what they could control was how things were done within their community, and in their community they just said, hey, we're not going to do things that way. We're going to do things a little bit differently. And so the church valued women, and they protected children, and the helpless in that culture, and these things were not highly valued at the time. Christian men were called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to sacrifice, protect, and provide for their families. Understand, in ancient, Rome, ancient Roman Christians saved countless abandoned babies and brought them up in the faith, and they became the first orphanages. And when the church saw, began, it saw that Rome was not providing for the welfare of people in the community, and they began to care for one another. Not only for one another, they began to care for people outside of the community, which is totally unheard of. In those days, widows were forced to marry because there's only way to provide for themselves. And the church said, you know what? We're not going to do it that way. And they told the widows, you know what? You don't have to marry. We'll make sure that you're taken care of. Another example, in early Rome, young ladies would be forced to marry even before puberty. And the church came in and said, you know we're not going to do that that way either. And the list goes on and on and on. And eventually society was so struck by what was different in the church that it changes everything. It changes the culture. But it wasn't because they could vote. It wasn't because they could pass legislation that forbid certain practices. Now, if they could have been more involved in the political process, they should, but they couldn't. They'd simply change the world by changing how they lived out in society, and the world just caved in. And, and as you look through the last 2,000 years of history, you see that the church stands front and center of making the world a better place, caring for the sick, building hospitals and orphanages, starting schools and universities, looking out for the widow, feeding the hungry, abolishing slavery, Uplifting the value of women and children, as I said, and bringing love and resources to those suffering from war and famine and disasters. And the list goes on and on and on. Remember I said, as I said many times before, God is not, he's not looking for an audience to fill a, a building. He's looking for an army to engage the world that he so loves, right? You know, being being a, a Christian is not like hunkering down in our bunker, and hiding out from the world, but rather it's about going out in the world 
and spreading the good news of God's grace. Amen? Next, next, how, how do we engage our culture? In light of our three core values, I want to talk about four ways we engage our culture. Number one, we engage our culture under the authority of the Word of God. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world, full of crooked and perverse people, as you hold out the word of life. It's essential that as we engage our culture, that we, number one, be living lives that are clearly under the authority of God's word. And number two, that we hold out the word of life in our engagement. Here's a question. How effective is our engagement in the world if our life does not match what we see in Scripture? I mean, if our lives are for the most part no different than the world, just as crooked and depraved as the world is, how successful will be our engagement? How salty will be our salt? How how bright will be our light? You see, we, we we cannot successfully export into the world what we've never really imported into our own lives, okay? Under authority of God. Here's another question. How lasting and eternal is the engagement if in that engagement the words of life are never held out? See, Jesus not only gave people food to feed their belly, but he gave them God's word to save their souls. And that's why as we engage culture, we must be sure to engage it holding out God's word. Amen? And listen, this is important, especially because of the times in which we live. We must refuse to buy into the lie that we have to compromise, change, water down, twist, ignore, and make apologies for Scripture in order to engage our culture. Amen? Can't do it, right? That's what they want us to do. The world says, hey, you know what? Let's make Scripture fit the world. No, 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 no. We don't do that. All right? We can't do that. Because we know what what sets people free is the truth sets people free. And we're called to set people free. We're not called to make people comfortable in their sinful, lost lifestyles. Okay? However, as we engage culture under authority of God's Word, let's do it Jesus' way right? Always lead with love and follow with truth. Always lead with love and follow with truth. Listen, truth without love destroys. Truth without love looks like we hate everybody in the world, right? That doesn't work. But love without truth deceives. It lets people think they're okay when we know they're not okay, right? Always Lead with love, follow the truth, right? Jesus, Jesus was full of what? Full of grace and truth, amen? So, so we got to engage our world under the third God. We got we to engage our culture depending on God. Why? Because he's smarter than we are and he's more powerful than we are, right? I mean, God knows us and God knows specifically in our context how we can best engage our culture. Yet God... We want to engage our culture. We don't know how to do it the best way. Would you show us how to engage our culture 
so our community can know you, know your love, find your grace, and find the hope that is only in you. God, help us to do that. Help us to know what to do and give us the power to do it. Psalm 4610, I love this. Cease striving. Some of you guys are saying that right now. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. All right? He's going to be exalted, right? Among the nations. I'll be exalted on the earth, right? Cease striving. Some of you may, this is not necessarily what the sermon's about, but some of you are trying so hard. <laughs> You're trying too hard. And God is saying, cease striving and know that I'm God, which means what? You're not God. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you're not God. <laughs> if you wanted to say that for a long time to somebody and you felt good, um, I, I, I like Starbucks gift cards, right? Just send me one. I, I think I earned it. And uh, now to him who's able to do more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, right? We wanna, he can do more than we can imagine, right? We get your culture by doing it together. Together is better. Together is what makes our message believable. Together is the undeniable apologetic. Jesus said, right, the world will know we're disciples by the way that we love one another. Right? It just makes a difference, right? I, I was talking to, uh, uh, by the way, man, that cookout rocked last week. July 4th, we're having another one. It was, man, it was incredible. Um, People were having a great time, you know, and, and so if you can make it, hot dogs and burgers, bounce house, ice pops, how can you go wrong? You're home by one o'clock, so July 4th, if you're not out of town, you want to be here for that. But I, I was talking to Tristan um, uh, during that time, and he was mentioning, because we had talked about community and the power of it, and he was just sharing with me how an atheist friend of him a while back, you know, if I get this story wrong, find Tristan, he can correct it, <laughs> but the basic premise was that this atheist didn't believe in God, but he was just blown away at how Christians treated each other and how a Christian could show up in a different community and go to church and immediately have people care about them, right? Isn't that true? You know, I, I remember, you know, when I, Laurie and I went to Brazil, right? You know, as soon as we got there, like those people were our family, you know? Some of us went to the DR, immediately, they become your family. You're like, you've known them for a day or maybe for five minutes. And this atheist was blown away by the church, right? You can go anywhere and find family. I, I like this saying right here. God creates community within a community to change a community. God creates community within a community to, to change a community. And finally, we gauge our culture in, in relevant ways. And, and to help us get our brains around this, all right, and understand the importance of these three words in relevant ways, I, I want to find the word relevant, make two statements, and then talk about three attitudes that I think are essential for um, engaging the world in relevant ways, all right? Here's a definition of relevant, in case you didn't know. It's an adjective. Is it going to show up? Yep. Having significant and, and demonstrable bearing on the matter at hand, relating to a subject in an appropriate way, having practical value or applicability, right? Relevant, okay? 
Uh, now the two statements. Here's statement number one. Being relevant is not about the Grove trying to be like or woke to our culture. Instead, about, it's about trying to speak in a way that our culture understands, all right? That's being relevant, right? That makes sense, right? I mean, what good is the message, right, if people, if people can't understand it, right? Like, like, like it's not any good, right? What good is the message if we change it to fit culture, right? Because then it's no longer the message, right? It's about people being able to understand it. At this point in my notes, you would see this crazy thing to a YouTube link. Now, I have a bad, ha- I have a lot of bad habits, uh, some I won't share, uh, but, but I have a bad habit of, of like answering a text in my head and then finding out someone goes, wow, I texted you like two weeks ago, you never responded. I have a bad habit of answering an email in my head, bad habit. I have a bad habit of creating an email and not hitting send, right? And, and so this morning I came in, I, could, I said, hey, Nate, yo, did you like see the video of my message? Like, what video? And I said, Bart, did you get the video? He goes, what video? I said, you know what? Let me check my drafts. And there it was on Thursday, right there. And what this video was, it, it was a, a minute and a half video of this nature scene with a bunch of words in Chinese, right? You know, and I was going to ask you after you watch it, like, well, hey, how'd that make you feel, <laughs> right? And then I was going to read Psalm 1 because that's what it was, to make the point that as beautiful as that was, those words meant nothing to me because I couldn't understand it. And so that's what it means to be the statement, right? If we want to be relevant. We want them to understand us, okay? Yeah. So it's not about being like our culture or woke to our culture. Our culture doesn't need another culture to mess it up. It needs the gospel. And statement number two is a local church can become irrelevant, but the church can never become irrelevant. You know, and I know that, that a lot of people today would think that a 2,000-year-old organization is totally irrelevant in such a sophisticated society that we find ourselves in, 21st century America, Right? I mean, no longer relevant, so, so outdated. But here's the deal. Whether people admit it or not, every person walking on this planet was created by God and is creating God's image. Therefore, people are still people, right? And though some things change, some things remain the same and are still relevant. Question is, is freedom from guilt relevant? Is having... Real and lasting hope relevant? Is overcoming our fears relevant? Is forgiveness relevant? Is experiencing peace rather than anxiety, is that relevant? Is having a true sense of belonging, is that relevant? Is being fully known yet fully accepted, is that relevant? Is no fear of death relevant? Is being a better person, husband, wife, son, daughter, worker, whatever, relevant? Is having a reason and purpose for living relevant? Is having a strength greater than our own to help us through difficult times relevant? Is being content whether living in plenty or in want relevant? Is knowing there's a purpose behind all the pain, is that relevant? Is being part of something that gives hope to the hopeless food, to the hungry, freedom to the captive, belonging to the lonely, acceptance to the outcasts relevant? 
I think we know the answer. It's very relevant. And those things will always be relevant. And those are things that you really can't find in the world. Now, three essential attitudes, right? And I'm going I'm to be quick on this. <laughs> I was thinking, quick draw, quick draw, McGraw. <laughs> the things that pop into my head. Some, some, some just pop out and stay out, right? Okay, three essential attitudes, right? I, I call the first the John Baptist remove all obstacles attitude, right? He's a voice shouting the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth and all people will see the salvation sent from God. And, and see, all these metaphors, right? You know, he, John the Baptist did not have a landscaping business, right? You know, he, he, he wasn't out there making roads straight and all that stuff. That wasn't what he was doing. He's just talking about removing obstacles, right? Removing anything that could possibly get in the way of people hearing the message about Jesus, right? And I remember an obstacle to me when I was a new Jesus follower, you know, was the King James Version Bible, right? Like, I never went to church as a kid, and I could not understand that to save my life, right? Could not, I could not, it didn't speak in the language I could understand, right? And, but the church I went to wouldn't change it. I said, hey, could you like let me hear it in something I understand and my friends understand? And they said, no, because people like it. And I said, well, the people like it have liked it for 40 years. And <laughs> can't, can't they like show grace and to us who are just starting out? And that didn't go well. Um, uh, as you might expect. You know, I, I'll tell you another obstacle. You can think of all kinds of obstacles, right? You know, that are out there. You know, is it style of worship? Do you have to get dressed up? Oh my gosh, you have a tattoo. We're going to condemn you. You walk in. Oh my gosh, he has a tattoo. Um, I, I think one obstacle today we have to be careful of is being too vocal and invested. You listening? Too vocal and invested in political parties or social movements. That's an obstacle. And if you take your stand on, I am a Republican, I am a Democrat, I am America first, I am this, I am that, you take a stand on that, that is going to be an obstacle. And there's not a movement on this social movement or political movement that's worth the cause of Christ. And I'll tell you what, it'll happen, right? Be careful what you post on social media. You're going to post some stuff out there and someone's going to think differently than you and they're not even going to hear you or hear me because of something I said. Well, you think that way, you must be a bad person, right? So stick with Jesus. You know, if someone's going to hate me, I'd rather have them hate me for Jesus, right? Okay? And that's the that John the Baptist attitude. Then you have the Apostle Paul attitude, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Paul said, hey, you know what? To the Jews, I was like the Jews. To the Gentiles, like Gentiles. To the weak, I was like the weak. He said, anything I would do, I would do in order to save all people, right? You know, I, you know I, I'm not going to do anything wrong, but I'll do things differently. Like, I know in Bangladesh, you, you, you never seen them do it in here, but in Bangladesh, Steve Bailey danced in worship. You should have saw it, man. Yeah, he was up there dancing, right? Because you dance in worship. And, he, and we didn't wear shoes because you couldn't wear your shoes, right? So, you know, but you know what? That's what we did. Now, I, I'll tell you what, me, Todd, and Steve's dancing would not make it on Dancing with Stars, but it, yeah, we did it, right? 
Like anything, right? What's going to, you know, whatever it takes. Hey, does live stream. Yo, I still know you're there, live streamers, right? Does that, does that, is that a way? Social media, right? Whatever it takes, right? And, and here's the deal. You know, I, I heard a speaker say this last week. We must marry the mission, but only date the method, right? We date the method, we marry the mission. And methods are always changing, right? Because, like, here's the deal. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. This will help our church grow. If I would shave my head and wear skinny jeans, right? <laughs> Do it. <laughs> yeah, I got one. All right. Hey, that could be a fundraiser. We could, we could build a new building. Oh, everybody's shaking their head. Shave it. Well, okay, what's worse, the skinny jeans or the shaved head? You know? <laughs> All right, I won't even, okay. I, I wouldn't go that far because... To wear skinny jeans implies what? That you're what? Skinny. <laughs> if I had a head that looked good shaved, it'd be gone, but I don't think it is. I covered up. All right. And then the other attitude is to simply be the church attitude. You see, being relevant is so much deeper than our style of music, design of our building, use of technology, what we wear or don't wear. That's all secondary. Early church met in homes and read from scrolls, right? Well, we mean in a building with, with padded pews and a projector and electricity and air conditioning and our, our Bibles on the screen or it's on our phones, all secondary. But listen, living out our faith, the church being the church, Christians looking like Jesus, is never secondary. Not change it, it's essential, foundational. So here's my question. Tune in. What would happen if the church was just a church? And we live for God's glory, not our own. For kingdom advancement, not self-advancement. If we focus on worship, not wealth, on our mission, not comfort. What would happen if we loved each other in radical kinds of ways? What would happen if we took off our mask, not just literally, but spiritually, and lived in authentic Christian community? What would happen if those who had less shared with those who had more? I mean, those who had more shared with those who had less. <laughs> the other one would be good. Unfortunately, that's what happens, right? You make more money, you give less. But what would happen if racial and gender and cultural barriers just melted? And what would happen if we were on the front lines talking not just about spiritual health, but about emotional health and mental health, right? Shouldn't we be leading the way in that? I mean, shouldn't we? I mean, you know, there's a lot of stress in people's lives, and we come to church oh, and fake it, that we're okay, but maybe we're not okay, right? We should be leading the charge on helping people be emotionally healthy and healthy mentally, amen? Leading the charge, what would happen? Uh, what would happen if the church did a better job of caring for the sick? I mean, would there be a health care debate right now? If the church was just a church and we loved the unlovely, forgave those who hurt us, reached out to the hurting, fed those who were hungry, freed those who were captive, served those who were less fortunate, showed compassion to the broken, grace to the lost, offered a belonging to the outcast family, to the lonely, healing to the wounded, took Christ into the darkness, brought truth to the skeptical, displayed love for our enemies... Like, you have to wonder, would our salt start being saltier and our light start being brighter? And you have to wonder if the, the world would sit up and take notice and the only irrelevant question would be, 
is the church relevant? Amen? How do we gauge our culture under the authority of God, depending on God, together in relevant ways, remove all obstacles, do whatever it takes, and just be the church? Final question, will we engage our culture in relevant ways? And let me say, we are. We are doing some things, right? Spring break camp, helping out with Baker Butler, Compassion Sundays, you know, helping single moms get vans and cars and random utility payments. Uh, our Saturday food distribution, which has been canceled, but I have an idea I'm going to throw out there. I'm thinking, you know, because that was canceled, the food we picked up down there. I'm thinking, a once a, we cut all this food. I'm thinking a once a month mobile church, church pantry where we load up trucks once a month and we go to different communities and say, hey, here's some food, you know, get coolers and put eggs and milk in it. But so if, you, if that even interests you a little bit, to show up here once a month, load up your car and go somewhere into a needy community and just say, here we are, we have some food for you. So that, that, this is an idea in my head. Um, and, uh, and we're just getting started, right? We're just getting started. I, I, I'm going to read this and we're going to close, all right? And it's a real close. So, man, like, if you, like, tune out now, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, it's already over? Turn to someone next to you and say, man, Steve's doing a good job. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you another try. All right. I'm not well. Um, I was on a submarine next to a reactor, slept next to a Mark 48 torpedo, stuff like that happens, all right? What's your excuse? (laughs) <laughs> All right, this is called Raw by Dick Alexander. It's really good. Raw. It's a word I never liked. Raw character too hard. Raw oysters too slimy. Raw humor is too dirty. Raw skin is too painful. In fact, raw applied to anything human sounds painful. But we live in a world of raw human need. It's all around us. Do you ever wonder how many people struggle with homosexuality in your church? How many alcoholics? How many addicts? How many victims of violence and abuse? Will they find help? With the raw human need touching us every day, the church can scarcely afford business as usual. In practice, many traditional churches view their mission as holding Sunday services, satisfying the members, and doing a little good here and there. Such churches are on their way out. Within a few years, they will be dinosaurs, not because their doctrine is bad, but because they lost their mission. Only churches serious about rescuing the hurting will survive and make a difference. Only churches serious about rescuing the hurting will survive and make a difference. Amen? Reset. Reset. This is us. That is the church that we want to be. Now, I heard this story as the praise dance comes up about a, a, a guy from a big city going to a small town and to their train station. You know, he, he used to Grand Central Station, you know, so city slicker. You know, and he, he walks in there and just arrogantly kind of says, so, is this Grand Central Station? And the guy behind the counter said, no, but we're on the right track. You know, hey, are, are we who we're supposed to be yet? No, but I really believe 
you know, really, I, I believe now more than ever since I've been here that we're on the right track. And God is going to get us to where he wants us to go. Amen? Amen. Uh, stand as we, we sing this song right here. Father, we love you. And what an honor to be in your family, to be your church. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that somehow you can take the scripture I read or something I said that's of you and imprint it and impress it upon each and every heart in here what you would have us to do. Father, we know that there's a world of hurt, a world full of hurting people, broken people, lost people, desperate people, lonely people, hungry people, people looking for life and loving, meaning in all the wrong places. And they need us. They need us to leave the fortress of our Christianity and to invade this world, invade this darkness with your love and your peace and your joy. And God, we know we don't always get it perfectly. We know we forget so many times the opportunity we have. But God, you said that those who much are given, much is required. And each of us has been giving much. We've been given your grace and your mercy. And so God, I, I pray that making a difference in the world for you will consume us. Thank you for making a difference not only in our lives, but in our future and are forever. Amen.